Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. In the movie Groundhog Day, um, some of you may have seen it, um, Bill Murray plays a character that gets stuck repeating the same day over and over and over and over and over and over again. And he can't get up. He's kind of stuck in this loop. Every morning, wakes up with Sonny and Cher. And that's how the day goes the rest of the day. Um, But what happens is over the period of this time, each day repeats itself exact same, except that he starts making some changes, makes some different choices. When When he first starts out, he just wants to get out of this loop. So he tries to find ways. Maybe if he can kill himself, he'll get out of this loop. Well, that doesn't work. So then he starts using, using each that day um, to make a few different choices and trying to use it to his own advantage, you know, to just kind of work his way in with this particular gal he's interested in or whatever it is. And he starts using it for his own advantage. And then eventually, as the movie goes on, as it gets towards the end, what he starts doing is making completely different choices. And he starts making choices that actually change him into a better person. And it was, it's just kind of the story, it's a chance to change by just making different choices. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe you've had some of those days that you would like to repeat over and over again. You have probably had one or two of those days that you think, I would never want to experience that day again in my life. But the truth is that every day we're given choices. Every day we're given new opportunities. And the choices that we make, sometimes they're monumental and we know it up front. Sometimes they're little choices along the way that we're not even paying much attention to. But the truth of the matter is, every choice you make sets a direction for your life. Every little choice. Even those insignificant ones, just one little choice can actually change and alter the direction of your life. We have been going through the Gospel of Luke, and it's rapidly rising, uh, coming to a close. Next week, we're going to close it out with the resurrection on Easter. And we're kind of backing up a little bit um, from where we've been the last couple of weeks, backing up a week to Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus makes his final entry into Jerusalem. And, and this, is, um, this is going to be a defining moment, not just for him, but all who will follow him, and even to us today. Because there were some very deliberate, specific choices Jesus made on that day that were so out of character with what he had done all up through his three years of ministry. It just seems a little out of character, but he makes each of these choices very specifically. And it not only are defining moments for him, they become defining moments for those who will follow him. Luke writes about it in chapter 19 of his gospel. If you want to follow along, I encourage you to. Let me read it to you. Beginning in verse 28. It says, as they approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they had told him. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus. Threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They shouted, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. 
And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus entered the temple courts. He began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And every day, He was teaching at the temple. The chief priests and teachers of the law and leaders among the people were trying to kill him, but they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. It's an interesting scene, and it's so out of character because as we've been going through Luke, you've seen every time things start to get a little you know, bubbling up and getting a little rambunctious, Jesus always tends to quiet things down. Somebody performs a healing and tells, tells them, don't tell anybody about this. But all of a sudden on this day, this big day, this defining moment day, he's actually encouraging the crowd. And in fact, when the, when the Pharisees say, tell them to stop, he says, I'm not stopping them. If they stop, the stones are going to cry out. It just seems so out of character. But what Jesus is doing is he is bringing everything to this defining moment. Not just for himself, but for all of his followers. They are from this day on going to have to make a decision. And there's no, there's no fence riding anymore. You are either with me or you are not with me. This becomes the beginning of his la- the last week of his life on earth. And it becomes the defining moment, the watershed moment. For everyone who will follow him. And I think there are some things here in what Jesus did and in what his disciples did that give us a little bit of a hint of what it means when God enters your world. In the same way he entered Jerusalem, I believe God comes to us every day and speaks to us in so many ways every day. And we've got a choice what we're going to do. And I think some of the things that we learn here can apply to every one of our lives. What do you do when God comes to your world? What do you do when he starts speaking to you? What do you do when he starts stirring in your heart? How do you respond? I think one of the things is you simply learn to trust his agenda. You understand God's got a different agenda for your life than you do. And his agenda is better. See, Jesus enters the the city and everybody has an agenda for him. It says the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud. Let me try that one again. The whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. The reason they're all crowding together, the reason they're all flocking to Jesus is for one thing. What they've done, what he's done for them. And that's their shout. That's their cry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. Hosanna, Lord, save us. And, and, and what they're really meaning is, Lord, come take care of us. Come, come rescue us. Throw off the Roman oppression and, and restore the temple. Come and heal us. Come and feed us. Come and do this for us. Come and do that for us. And, and, and really what they're really looking for is they want a God who will satisfy their agenda. Kind of like those of you parents who have been through this. When your child turns 16 years old, 
And it is the scariest day of your life because you hand over the keys to somebody else. And that takes a great deal of faith. See, when we want God for our agenda, it's kind of like, I like to have God in my life as long as he stays in the passenger seat. Because that's real convenient. Because if I come up against something, if I've got a flat tire, you know, if health issue, God, I'm glad you're here with me. Boy, I'm sure I'm glad you're here with me because you can do something about this. We all want God in our lives when he's in the passenger seat. But he doesn't come to be in the passenger seat. He comes to drive your car. And you got to turn over the keys. And you take the passenger seat. See, it's really interesting. Jesus, he, he has his disciples do something that actually seems kind of strange. He gives them some very specific instructions. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And, by the way, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of those guys, I'd have a few more questions. Yeah, because a donkey, that's like, that's like stealing somebody's car, all right? That's, like their, that's their mode of transportation. It's, it's, the, it's the SUV that they use to haul the kids' stuff in, all the soccer equipment, you know? It's, it's the tractor that they use to plow. It's all of those things. And to own a donkey, that's a huge commodity. And you just walk up and untie it and take it? I'd have a few questions about that. Okay, well, okay, Lord, but what if there's no donkey? How long do we look? Or, 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 okay, so we find the donkey. Shouldn't we ask permission first and then untie it? I mean, you're telling us untie it. And if anybody asks, what if the guy's got a gun? <laughs> Why are you taking my donkey? And you just tell, you want, to, you want us just to tell him the Lord needs it? Oh, yeah, that's going to work. <laughs> See, Jesus has this very specific instruction. He doesn't tell them all, but he tells them just enough. For them to obey. He gives them some very specific instruction. Listen. When you let God set the agenda for your life. He will ask of you some hard things. He will ask of you some things that don't necessarily make sense. But you got to decide. Whose agenda? They, they had to decide. What's really, really interesting in all this is. And Matthew gives us some insight in his gospel. He says, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. That simple little act, that insignificant decision, that, that, that seemingly senseless, just go into town, get a donkey that nobody's ridden, untie it and bring it here. That, that goofy little thing was fulfillment of something that God had prophesied through the prophet centuries beforehand. You have no idea what little insignificant choices you make in your life that God has not had a part in for centuries. They have a choice to make. Are they going to obey? Are they going to follow His leadership? Is is Jesus going to set the agenda or am I? But that little insignificant little detail, Matthew tells us, that was something God talked about centuries beforehand. It was just one more example that God's in control. And they did it. And here's what's interesting. It's, it, once, once they do it, it says they went ahead and went and found it 
just as he had told them. You know how many times I've, I've talked with people or, or we've talked about things around here and, and people say, okay, I'm going to actually try that. When we did the try the tithe a couple of months ago and we just told people, listen, just between you and God, we're not going to do the whole big thing, but just you take what God's word says and you pray about that and you make a decision and you just see if God doesn't take care of it. And the number of people that have said, you know, I made that decision and I had no idea how I was going to pay my bills or it came right down to it and it was, do I tithe or do I pay this bill? And I went ahead and tithe and you know what? God took care of paying my bills out of the blue i got this check out of the blue the job came out of the blue just it's amazing it's just like god said it would be and that's what they find when you take those steps of faith when you let god set the agenda of your life what you find out is it's just the way that he said it would be it's an insignificant little detail you think except what he's saying is he's in charge and you can trust him and you can hand over the keys to your life. That's actually part of a bigger issue. When God enters your world, it's not just letting him set the agenda. It's really, on a bigger scale, acknowledging his authority. It's really understanding there is a God and it is not me. It's a choice of surrender. The bigger issue is who's going to be in charge of my life? See, the disciples declare as they're coming into Jerusalem, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Notice this. It's not blessed is a king. It's the king. In fact, it's not just the king. It's the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's God's king. Now, what they are doing, they are actually quoting a psalm, Psalm 118. And the psalm is one of the Hallels. It was one of the songs that people sang as they entered into Jerusalem. But it is the most messianic of all of them. Because it's talking about God's promised Messiah. God's king is coming. And they're all seeing this is what's going on here now. God has come into our world. God is making his interest now into our city, into our lives. It's God's king. He is the king. And the thing about kings is they get to be in charge. See, we don't know those kinds of kingdoms. You look at England, they got a queen. She's nothing more than a figurehead. She goes around and christens ships or whatever she does. I mean, she's a nobody. She's a rich nobody, but she's a nobody, really. She's got no real authority. That's not the kind of king we're talking about here. This is the king who gets to be in charge. He is the king who is the authority. And the Pharisees understand that. And that's why they say to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. You know, this, is, this is getting out of control. And Jesus doesn't do it. In fact, he endorses what they're doing. For the first time in his ministry, he's actually encouraging the crowd. Because... This is becoming a defining moment. And the real choice isn't just what you're going to say with your mouth during the parade. The real choice comes down to his authority in your life. Picked up a book not too long ago. The title of the book is Not a Fan. And it's written by a guy named Kyle Eidelman. And he talks about this whole idea that there's a lot of people who are fans of Jesus. But a fan is not a follower. And I just want to read you just a little section of it. Says that he defines a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. It's the guy who goes to the football game with no shirt and a painted chest. 
He sits in the stands and cheers for his team. He's got a signed jersey hanging on his wall at home and multiple bumper stickers on the back of his car, but he's never in the game. He never breaks a sweat or takes a hard hit in the open field. He knows all about the players and can rattle off their latest statistics, but he doesn't really know the players. He yells and cheers, but nothing's really required of him. There's no sacrifice he has to make. And the truth is, as excited as he seems, if the team he's cheering for starts to let him down and has a few off seasons, his passion will wane pretty quickly. And after several losing seasons, you can expect him to jump off the fan wagon. He's only an enthusiastic admirer. And I think Jesus has a lot of fans these days. But Jesus was never interested in having fans. When he defines what kind of a relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer is not an option. See, that's the thing. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Is God along for the ride in your car or he's in the driver's seat? Have you turned over the keys or are you just constantly reminding him it's your car? It's your life. See, this goes to the heart of what it means to be a follower. Jesus put it this way. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I'm not just along for the ride. It requires obedience, and that is not a popular idea. It requires submission and surrender and that is not something we do easily it implies weakness and it's something that we do not easily admit to but the truth is there is no way that a person comes to Christ that does not involve in some way surrender there's no way the thing about it is that Jesus doesn't ask of us what he wasn't willing to do for us Paul wrote the Philippian church, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, I won't submit, I won't surrender unless I really trust that what he wants for me is good. And the truth is, his desires for my life are better than my own. His agenda for my life is better than my own. And it's hard to think that because I think I know what's best. But to surrender means to give over the controls. It means to become no longer a fan, but a follower. And when you do that, when you accept his agenda for your life, when you give him the authority of your life, expect one more thing. Expect him to make some changes. Expect God will change you because surrender will mean change. He will change you. See, grace is not just about forgiveness of my past. Grace is about the power to transform my life. It's not just freedom to do what I want. It is the chance to truly become who I was meant to be. You fast forward to the scene at the temple. And here they are. Money changes are out there. Buying and selling animals, all this stuff's going on. And he says he came in there and he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now let me explain a little bit what's going on here because this is the Passover. 
People are starting to gather from all over because it was a really, really big thing at least to spend one Passover in Jerusalem, in the holy city, to be at the temple during Passover. This was a huge, huge thing. But people came from great, great distances. And so to come to Passover, you had to bring an animal to sacrifice. And, and it was, you know, it's kind of tough to bring an animal to sacrifice from a great distance. And so one of the things that the priest set up was an ability to be able to buy your sacrificial animals right there at the, at the temple. It started out to be a good thing. It, it really was. It was intended to help people come to God. And of course... This was a holy, holy day, a holy um, season. And so when you bought your animal, you couldn't do it with the corrupt Roman coin because that represented Roman corruption, Roman oppression. And so really what you needed to do, you had to buy it with the Hebrew shekel. So, of course, what do you need? You need an ATM in the hallway (laughs) so we can exchange our money. Because you want to have a shekel to be able to buy the perfect sacrifice so you can celebrate Passover. It all started out with a good purpose, a good intent. What happened was it became profitable. And in itself, it became corrupt. And by the way, that's the way sin usually takes root. It's not often that we blatantly go and choose to do wrong. We just make a lot of these little choices that head us that way. And even starting out doing something that is a good thing. But it becomes corrupt. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's cleaning house. He's cleaning house. Every spring. Well, not every spring. Because we haven't done it in about three years. We used to every spring do a spring cleaning in our garage. Because our garage has lost its original intent. And we haven't done this in three years, and it's just like this year, we have got to do this. And I am not looking forward to it. Because every time we do this, and I know after three years, it's going to be even worse. We're going to uncover stuff, and we're going, why in the world do we have this? <laughs> why, why do we? I know there's a reason we saved this, but I can't think of it after three years. It's just a lot of clutter and a lot of mess. And this year, we got to clean it out. And that's what happens in our lives. Stuff accumulates. And we don't even remember why we do it or how it got there. But I'll tell you this. When God enters your world, he's going to clean house. And he doesn't just do it to throw things in disarray. That's not what Jesus is doing. In fact, what he's doing is he is restoring it to its original intent. And that's what he's going to do in your life. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be fun sometimes when he starts cleaning house. But all he is doing is restoring your life to its original intent. And that can't happen until a few things get cleaned out. So expect he's going to make some changes. What's interesting is for the rest of that week, you find this. Every day for the rest of that week, he was teaching at the temple. And it says all the people hung on his words. Things had been restored to its original intent and people could not get enough of it. And that's the thing. See, I believe, I really do believe, every morning and moments throughout the day, God speaks. And, and I think the best way to start the day, and, and it's actually a prayer that I've been, it's been my prayer this week, the beginning of every day, Lord, today's your day, this is your agenda. You get authority in my life today. And if something needs changing, Lord, change me. 
I think one of the most telling sentences in this whole story, we kind of skipped over it, but I want to go back to it. It's Jesus' words as he sits there, just about to enter Jerusalem, and he looks out over the city, and it breaks his heart. Breaks his heart. And he says these words, If you, even you, had only known, if you'd only known on this day, what would bring you peace? I take those words to my own heart. The things I think I need to have peace, the things that I pursue after that I think was going to give me peace and, and serenity and, 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 and comfort in my life. He says, no, if you only knew what would bring you peace, if you only knew, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. If you bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.